Welcome to Valley Life. My name is Adam Young. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I want to welcome you uh, to our fourth and final week in this series as we've been on a journey together discovering uh, true identity. And in this series, we've been seeking to answer this question, who am I? And in order to do that, we've been uh, looking at filling this blank. How do we fill in this blank? And so as we start this morning, uh, as we discover who our identity is in, what our identity is, um, and as we're thinking about finishing that statement, I am blank, uh, I want you to take a minute to uh, think of your life as a timeline, which is easy to do. We're generally linear thinkers. And so um, I, I want you for a minute just to think of your life as a timeline. Um, and if you're unfamiliar, you've never seen one of these before, um, these are actually the timelines that we use in our journey groups, minus the clip art that I glued on here. Um, and so uh, what we do in our journey groups is we actually share our own journeys, our personal stories, the, the highs and lows of our lives and um, the things that influence and shape who we are today. And so I took this timeline from one of our journey group timelines that um, we would normally fill this in and share it with the other people in our journey group. Um, so I want you to think about your life as a timeline. And if, if we were to fill in that blank, I am blank, I want you to think for a minute, where would you go on this timeline to answer that question? Where would you go to answer that question when you say, I am blank? Now, I think if we were honest, many of us would go somewhere between birth and today. Maybe it's something someone said to you. Maybe it's something that happened to you. Maybe it's something that you did that has shaped who you are or how you see yourself. And so in seeking who am I or trying to fill in that blank, I am blank, a lot of times we would go to right here in the timeline, would we not? Now, I want to think about the last few weeks in which we've been on this journey together in seeking to fill in this blank. In week one, uh, we said, I am new. And our main passage of Scripture that morning was from 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so if we think about I am new and where it falls on this timeline, the reality is that that falls in like right, right here and now. There was a time when you were not new. But in Christ, when you came to the place of believing in Jesus, giving your life to Him, confessing Him as the Lord and Savior of your life, you became a new creation. Now, it might have not happened today. It could have been somewhere on this timeline. But the reality is there was a time when you were not new, and in Christ, you became new. Last week, we talked about how I am, we are known. And, and how the Bible defines that is that those who are known are chosen by God and are intimate with God. One of the passages, this uh, actually wasn't the main passage we looked at last week, but one of them, uh, 1 Corinthians 8.3 says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And just like I am new, I am known is a present reality. 
There was a time when you were not known. We didn't actually read the passage out of Matthew, but Jesus once teaches what it's going to be like at the end time. When He begins to separate those who are His and His followers and those who are not. And at one point, He's going to say to those who are not His followers, depart from Me, for I never knew you. So there was a time when we were not known by God. We were not intimate with God. And then there came a time when we were known by God. We were intimate with God. And so, Again, like being new, that being known is a present reality. Week two, we talked about this. I am loved. Here's the main passage that we read that week. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love... He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And so while it's a current reality that we are loved, as we see, the Bible actually says we were loved from the foundation of the world. And so when we talk about being loved, I am loved, we actually have to go outside of this timeline. Long before you and I ever existed, did God love us. So, We're going to continue with this idea, but we're going to take a new approach today as we think about who we are and how God defines our identity. Now, there's something in this passage that I want to draw attention to. I've got too many things on my podium. I've got to move some stuff. Um, I want to draw some attention to, and there's a few key words that uh, Paul's going to use here um, in talking about this truth and this reality. And there's another passage in Romans chapter 8 where he takes some of these exact same ideas to communicate another way in which in Christ we find our identity. A new way in which we will fill that blank in, I am blank. And so we're going to go to Romans chapter 8 and we're going to start in verse 28. And here's what Paul says in Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So notice some of the similar language that He's using in this passage compared to the one we were just looking at in Ephesians chapter 1. But I want to go on to verse 30. Look what he says in verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now from this one text, we could fill in that blank in a number of different ways. We could say that in Christ, I am foreknown. In Christ, I am predestined. I am called. I am justified. But here's one that I want us to really focus in on today, and it's that last portion. That I am glorified. Now, I'm going to guess, if we took a poll in this room before church started this morning, and we said, let's come up with all the ways that we could fill in that blank. I am blank. Now, we could use self-prescribed ideas of who we are. 
Uh, we could use societal labels. But even if we said, hey, let's come up with every way that the Bible defines our identity, how, how the Bible would have us fill in that blank, my guess is this one might not have made the list. The reality is some of us are even uncomfortable with this statement. Because we're like, whoa, no, 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 no. I'm not glorified. I'm called to bring glory to God, right? So I, I, I can't fill in that statement that way. Because we usually think of us giving glory to God, right? The other reason it makes us a little uncomfortable is because when we think of glory, we often think of a future and a future that awaits us. There's a couple other places, actually a lot of places that Paul talks about glory. We're only going to, I'm just going to survey two more of them. We don't have time to go through all of them. But even in Romans chapter 8, where we were just reading, if we back up to verse 18, look what he says in verse 18 about glory. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just one more example. Paul says this, for this light momentary affliction that we are experiencing in this world, in this life, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Notice how both of those are really forward thinking. Paul's comparing the here and the now with glory that is to come in the future at some other time. But we're going to go back to Romans 8 here. Look, and... Those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. So, how can Paul talk about a future event as though it's already happened? So, maybe let's take a minute to just ask ourselves, what is glory? What is glory? Well, in its usual use and its most basic understanding and definition, glory is usually mean, meant, uh, used to, to talk about fame, to talk about approval, to talk about appreciation. But fame, like to be famous, right? That's, that's a comparison game. Like to be famous means that you're just more famous than other people. And the desire for fame appears to be like a competitive passion. Isn't it absurd to think that one day we would stand before God and would be concerned with how we stand in relation to other people? But what if this isn't about how we stand in relation to other people? What if this is not about how we stand in the eyes of others, but in the eyes of God? What if we're talking about fame or approval or appreciation by God? What if this future glory is focused on what God thinks of us? And the Bible not only highlights the creation to creator glory, 
the humanity to God glory and praise, but also the Creator to creation, the God to humanity direction as well. But, if you understand this rightly, does not lead to arrogance and pride. I'm going to read for you um, a little excerpt um, uh, from something from C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory. And um, it wasn't originally written as a book. Um, it was a message that he delivered that was later put into a book a bunch of, with a bunch of other sermons and essays. Um, but you can buy a book called The Weight of Glory, which uh, contains uh, this message. And um, C.S. Lewis is reflecting on really what matters most. And he's sort of asking this question, is it more important what we think of God, or is it, more, or, or, or is it what God thinks of us? Is that what matters most? So he's reflecting on this question. Here's what he says. I read in a periodical the other day, that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God Himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of Him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how He thinks of us. It is written that we shall stand before Him, shall appear, shall be inspected, the promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, that any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father and a son, it seems impossible. A weight or a burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. What's more important? How you see God and think of Him or how He sees you and thinks of you? Naturally, most of us would say, well, it's important that I see God rightly. It's very important that I think of Him correctly. That I have the right beliefs and theology and knowledge. It's important, and it is. But in comparison to what God thinks of us, what we think of Him, is almost, almost not important when compared and as Paul thinks about this reality, when he thinks about what God has proclaimed and declared over us, when he thinks about how God thinks about us, how does he respond? Let's go back to uh, Romans 8.30. Romans 8.30. We already read this several times. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And how does Paul all respond to this idea? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Notice what Paul is doing. 
He's reflecting on a reality that will come one day. And it is so impactful to who he is that he can speak to it as though it's in the past tense, as though God has already glorified us because it transforms his identity and how he sees himself today. If all of those things are true, what should our response be? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God has declared it to be true, then nothing and no one in our lives, in this world, in our culture or society can say otherwise. God gets the final say in who we are. Not what other people say. Not what other people do. That's not who defines who we are. So our identity today is rooted in our destiny, in what God has promised for us. I am glorified. Not because I'm better than those around me, but because God has declared it over me. So we've been in this series for four weeks. Um, as I was preparing uh, for this series, I started exploring how would the Bible have us fill in this blank. And I came to the conclusion that we don't have enough time to do a series in which we would cover them all. So, through prayer and discernment, I chose four. But as we start to think and reflect on what has the Bible declared to be true for those of us who are in Christ, I wanted to share with you some of the things that I came across. In Christ, I am new. We covered that in week one. In Christ, I am loved. We covered that in week two. In Christ, I am known. We talked about that last week. This week, in Christ, I am foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Let me continue. In Christ, I am saved. I am a child of God. I am a friend of Jesus. In Christ, I am adopted. I am a member of the body of Christ. I am a member of the household of God. I am a citizen of heaven. In Christ, I am established. I am anointed. I am sealed. I am hidden with Christ and God. I am chosen. I am a co-heir with Christ. I am holy. I am blameless. I am the righteousness of God. In Christ, I am blessed. I am born of God. I am redeemed. I am a saint. I am a minister of reconciliation. I am God's workmanship. I am raised up. I am brought near. I am a holy temple. I am a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. I am forgiven. In Christ, I am dead to sin. I am born again. I am alive. In Christ, I am not alone. I am promised eternal life. I am promised abundant life. I am enriched. I am guiltless. I am sanctified. I am free. I am protected. I am strengthened. I am healed. I am an overcomer. In Christ, I am delivered. 
I am qualified. In Christ, I am not condemned. In Christ, I am not lacking. In Christ, I am more than a conqueror. In Christ, I am victorious. This is what God says about you if you are in Christ. We don't fill in that blank because of what we've personally experienced or done or what has been done to us. Our identity is not wrapped up in what other people say about us or even how you feel when you look in the mirror. This is what God has declared over those who are in Christ. We are glorified not because there is anything worthy in us or we are any better than anyone else. Not because we have earned God's approval. But because He has declared it over us. So how do we get to this place? How could could God ever... Instead of saying, depart from me, I never knew you, how could He say, well done, good and faithful servant? Enter into the joy of your Master. How could these declarations be true over me? How could God ever be pleased with me? How could He ever approve me? We have uh, read from 2 Corinthians 5.17 several times in this series. We're going to start there and we're going to keep reading. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for God, for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The theologian Martin Luther called this the great exchange. Where we take our old, dead, sinful, broken self and exchange it with Christ for His righteousness that was made possible on the cross. On the cross, Jesus defeated sin. In His resurrection, He defeated the grave and declared a new reality and a new identity for those who would identify as being in Christ. It's not what we do. It's what God has declared over us. And it is so powerful that even a reality that has yet to take place sometime in the future 
that one day we will see and experience the glory that makes everything in this world pale in comparison. That reality changes who we are and how we see ourselves today. So as we explore this question, who am I? It is not about what you have done. It is not about what you have accomplished or failed to accomplish. It is not what you have spoken over yourself or what others have spoken down to you. It is what God has declared to be true over you for those who are in Christ. Do you see how freeing this is? That you don't carry the weight and the burden of defining your identity any longer? That it's not tied to what happened to you in the past or what may or may not happen in the future for you? Before coming here to Valley Life, my wife and I, we've been in Colorado about 16 years and um, we were in the Denver metro area for all that time until uh, this past year when we moved here. And uh, more than 10 years ago, uh, we set out to to plant a church, to start a new church. And we did that on the east side of the metro area. And uh, it was a long multi-year battle of me saying no to God uh, because I didn't want to do it. I didn't think I had the giftings or the talent or the personality makeup to start something new. I didn't see myself as sort of an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, and because I knew all the statistics. Okay, uh, Starting a new church is about on the same level as starting a new business. Okay, 25% of businesses won't make it to their second anniversary. About 55% of businesses and churches don't make it to the five-year mark. And about 80% of them won't make it to the 10-year mark. I knew the stats. I also knew uh, starting a church when the only people who will be at the first service are your wife and your two infant children is a hard way to pay the bills. And I had somebody ask me one day, I said, and they weren't talking specifically about planting a church. They said, if you knew that whatever you tried to do couldn't fail, what would you do? And my first answer was, I'd plant a church. Because I knew deep down that's what God was calling me to do. And I knew the moment I answered the question, what I had to do. So let me ask you this. If you knew God was pleased with you, how would it change and transform your life? How would it change the way you saw yourself in a mirror? How would it change the way you treat yourself? And how would it change the way you treat others? If you knew God was pleased with you. It is not because of what we do. Because of what Christ has done for us that it changes and transforms how we finish this statement because of what God has declared to be true. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that we don't have to carry the weight and the burden any longer of defining who we are. That we don't have to worry but whatever successes and failures may come in life. Because you've already determined the outcome for us. 
that in you we are new, that in you we are loved, that in you we are known. And then in, in you we are glorified. We find your, your approval of us. And it's because we rest in what Christ has done. If you will keep your eyes closed for a minute. I'm going to give you these next few moments as a gift to you. A gift for you to just stop and pause everything else going on in life and to just have this moment to think and to reflect on what God has declared to be true over you for those who are in Christ. Made possible not because we are worthy or pleasing in and of ourselves because of what Christ has done for us. And as a part of our response in this moment, we invite you to the table. The table with the cup and the bread that are that perfect, tangible picture of what Jesus did on the cross. His body was broken as that bread is broken for you. His blood poured out represented by the cup, a new covenant in his blood, a new identity because of Jesus. And if you're sitting here this morning, not sure if those things are true of you. They are reserved for those who are in Christ. For those who have come to the place For those who believe in Jesus and confess that God rose him from the dead, that not only did he die for you, but he rose victorious over sin and death in the grave. And if that's you this morning, if you're ready to be new, if you're ready to experience true love and to be known, then this is our invitation to you to cry out to God, to give him your life. There's no magical words that you have to repeat. You express what's in your heart and you give him your life and your allegiance. Lord, would you be honored by the ways in which we respond to you right now as we celebrate your goodness and your faithfulness we're reminded of all that you have declared to be true over us as we worship you as we say thank you as we take the bread and the cup to be reminded of your faithfulness Lord we love you we thank you we praise you we pray this in your name